Good afternoon. I am Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania, and this is Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. And Joe Works is here as usual today in Elmira, New York. Good afternoon, Joe. I'm glad that you think I am usual. I uh, appreciate that. You, 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 would you rather be unusual? Well, I, I'm, I think I'm more commonly known that way, so I'll take the compliment. We don't have Chase Byers to be today. with you, Jeff. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Um, I, uh, you know what? I'll tell you people something. Um, uh, Phil's a good guy. Um, so uh, Chase Byers is too, but he's not with us today. Yeah, we're going to miss him. Absolutely. So we're going to uh, finish up Matthew chapter 7 today. Uh, Drew DeGrotto is behind the scenes running things today, except when I got in the way and I hit a button he was supposed to hit. Um, so, but he'll, he'll, he'll pull it together anyway. In Matthew chapter 7, Joe, I think we decided we wanted to pick up with about verse 21, didn't we? Correct. Yep. All right. You, you, uh, you are freezing every now and then. You're freezing just for a couple of seconds. So we'll see how that goes. Okay. I may have to switch places in my uh, in the house here if I have to. Sorry. Yeah. You're, so your voice and your um, video are not synced up. So um, go ahead and give it a try. Why don't you start and let's see how it goes to start us in verses 21 through 23, and we'll see how that works. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Yeah, you're you're breaking up. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you want to get reset, I'll I'll get us started here while you get reset. Take a look okay. at this passage. But I'll tell you what I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about. There's a whole lot we can talk about here. Um, we can certainly talk about the fact that there are a lot of people who uh, say, Lord, Lord, and what that means. Uh, that obedience is required. I want to take just a moment to talk about the idea of doing something in Jesus' name and what it truly means to do something in Jesus' name. I'm trying to figure out why the uh, speaker view is not going to the speaker. Drew, what are you seeing right now? What's on screen? Yeah, it is going to the speaker. Yeah, it's going to oh, you. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, all right. Good enough. Um, okay. Um, so what it says here is that people are saying, uh, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy by thy name and by thy name, cast out demons and by thy name, do many mighty works. If they truly done these things in Jesus name and truly live their lives that way, then that, that would be a better thing. But, but there are a lot of people who talk about doing things in the name of the Lord, and they're really not doing things in the name of the Lord. And I want to illustrate this. There's a passage back in 1 Samuel chapter 25 that I think helps to explain what it means to do something in the name of the Lord. This is a passage where David is in the wilderness and he is fleeing from Saul. But while he's out there, he has an army of several hundred men. Now, a lot of these men are ne'er-do-wells from uh, different places, people who've had trouble in society, maybe people who owed money or whatever. And they've come out, but David has made a, a kind of a cohesive army out of these people. And as they're hanging out in the wilderness, he's putting them to good use. 
And in particular, he has been protecting the flocks of a rich man named Nabal. So if you can picture a rich man in those days with many, many sheep, they wouldn't all be in this one great big pinned-in pasture or fenced-in pasture. Uh, they would, with their shepherds, they would cover the territory. They would graze this hillside this day and graze that hillside another day. But that also exposes them to bandits who would steal them, um, uh, people who would attack the shepherds to steal the sheep, that kind of thing. So uh, um, here in 1 Samuel chapter 25, uh, we're introduced to this, this rich man. His name is Nabal and his wife, Abigail. And it's the time of sheep shearing. Well, the time of sheep shearing was the time when money came flowing in for a man such as this. And so it was also a time of festivity and a time when you would kind of share the wealth. You'd invite the people from the community, whatever, and share the wealth. So David wants his messengers, his some, he sends messengers from among his men with a request to Nabal. Starting in verse um, four, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, visit Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, have a long life. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. Now I've heard that you have shearers. So this is still the message that these messengers are to take from David in David's name. Now I've heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us and we've not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. Well, we've come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. And so verse nine says, when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. I think this illustrates, Joe, talking to just about the concept of doing something in Jesus' name. I think this illustrates what that means. They could do this in David's name because David told them to do it. Mm -hmm. He sent them and he told them what message to deliver. And so when they said, we're doing this in David's name, they were speaking the truth. If they had just been freelancing, if they just showed up on Nabal's doorstep without uh, being charged by David to, to go and and make this request and they had said we're here in david's name that would have been a lie but today i think a lot of people have the idea if i just say this is for the lord then i'm doing it in the name of the lord and that's not that's not right it, to do something in the lord in the name of the lord it needs to be because the lord said for us to do it so when we come back to this passage in matthew 7 and we have these people uh who clearly jesus is saying um they're not they're not faithful but they say uh lord um did we not prophesy by thy name and by thy name cast out demons and by thy name do by thy name do many mighty works um well apparently you know in acts the 19th chapter we have um sons of Sceva who went around claiming they tried to cast out demons in the name of jesus whom paul preaches they were trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name, but Jesus had not sent them to cast out demons. So, Joe, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit, get us started. I think you're set now. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting connection there, I think, in Acts 19, because when the evil spirits responded, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? 
they uh, leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed them. Um, and the, the next verse, Acts 19, 17, this became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Um, uh, I just find it interesting that the, the, the evil spirits, because of their rejection of these men and uh, their defeat, God's name ended up being magnified. They weren't used, they weren't truly doing it in God's name. Right. Yeah, and that's um, an interesting point. There's another little thing. It's just kind of ironic. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says, um, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23, he says, I profess unto them, I never knew you. So these sons of Sceva, Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. The demons say, I never knew you. Boy, nobody knows them. <laughs> and you know that they would have thought that they were really well known. Yes. Um, uh, you know, that's what happens. People become full of themselves. There's no room for God, and uh, God is not going to accept them. Uh, really interesting, the list of things that are that are given in verse 22. Prophesying, casting out demons, and doing many wonders. We would think, well, those are all great things, but you can do great things even pretending as if you're doing them in God's name, uh, doing them for him. But you're often perhaps uh, doing them for self-glorifying uh, purposes. We can even preach a lot of truth, but do it for self-glorifying purposes. Yeah, exactly. And, and end up not known by the Lord. Yeah, any kind of service can have the wrong motive. We, we need to do what God has said, but we need to do it for the reasons of, of glorifying and pleasing him. But what implications does this passage have? For some people's concept of justification, uh, just say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my personal Savior, and they think they're saved. Yeah, yeah. well, certainly uh, the Bible is filled front to back with uh, teaching that we need to have action that goes along with our mental acknowledgement of who God is. But isn't the Bible also filled front to back with examples of people saying, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my personal Savior and being saved that way? You know, I have seen that in the Bible. Usually it's shortly after the book of Revelation where some man has added a page saying, if you will say this prayer, um, uh, but it's not between Genesis 1 and Revelation 22. Yeah, that, that is right, folks. Uh, that is not in the Bible. And, and if it's between the covers of your Bible, it is in those pages that some publisher or somebody has added. It's not the word of God. Right. Yeah. But it is amazing. I, I've seen little tracks put out where they will tell a good story or summarize a good passage from the Bible. And then they'll at the end say, now, if you want to be saved, you just say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my personal Savior and you'll be saved. And you cannot find that once anywhere in the Bible. You find abundantly uh, people being challenged by Jesus uh, to repent, to sacrifice all, to, to follow him. But you don't ever find that. Exactly. It, it, amazing in this text how well they thought they knew God. They're saying, Lord, Lord. Um, they're saying in verse 22, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Um, and yet the Lord doesn't approve of them. When he says, I doesn't know you, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean that he's never heard their names or, you know, didn't know that they existed. The idea is that he doesn't approve of, right. uh, and he calls it lawlessness. Who, who would have thought that doing wonders and uh, prophesying 
would be lawless. But indeed it is, if it's not for the purpose of, of pleasing God. And we mm -hmm. see the gospel accounts filled with that as well, where the religious leaders are doing things contrary to Jesus's teaching, thinking that they were right. Paul did that for a period of time even. Where yours has lawlessness, mine translates it, uh, the translation I'm looking at here, uh, work iniquity. Mm -hmm. um, more literally, it, it is lawlessness. But it's interesting. You can be you can be going about saying you're prophesying in Jesus' name and doing mighty works, and yet it can be lawlessness or iniquity. Right. Yeah, it reminds me also of First Peter. Uh, I'm sorry, First John two. Um, the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does who does the will of God abides forever. You know, we need to make sure that we're doing God's will uh, and not having these. Uh, in that text, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life, which can be prevalent even in religious actions, uh, particularly the pride of life and um, you know wanting to to be uh, seen by men and so forth. Mm -hmm. He's already talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. So before we went uh, live here a few minutes ago, um, Drew is putting something out there for us to think about. We get into this next section, and he's going to talk about building your house uh, on a good foundation, either on the rock or on the sand. And he was throwing out the question, is that connected with this previous section we just read about those who say, Lord, Lord, but do not do the will of the Father? Mm -hmm. And what did you say? Well, uh, verse 24, and at least in the New King James, I think other translations are similar verse 24 begins with the word therefore. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that is connected. I think it's also a therefore, a conclusion to the whole Sermon on the Mount. Um, uh, but I could easily see it connected with what we just talked about. These people that are coming in saying, I'm doing these things in God's name, and they're actually not. And uh, this conclusion, 24 to 29, or 24 to uh, 27, I guess, um, are, are showing the the contrast of those who are truly doing things in jesus name versus those who are not mm -hmm. all right well let's look at verses 24 through 27 i'll read it and then we can get into it everyone therefore that hears these words of mine and does them shall be likened unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain descended i almost want to sing the song here <laughs> and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded upon the rock. And everyone that hears these words of mine and does them not shall be likened to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and smote upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. I wish you all could see Joe doing the pantomiming that goes with the song. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm not going to torture people by singing it as well, but uh, Just torture what, a, me. <laughs> what a great song that is. We teach our children that, and we teach them the hand motions for it, but it, it ought to have that kind of an impact for us to, to imagine that scene. We, we just saw Hurricane Ian come through yeah. uh, Florida, you know, and we've seen the aftermath in Fort Myers and uh, Sanibel and, and other places down there. And just the, the utter devastation. And then other places that, that it went through 
that it did not have the impact because they were newer buildings that had been built with a stronger, firmer foundation and so forth. You know, the, the wind and the waves that the, the attack in this situation, two houses, but very different uh, results. So there was a, a news story about a um, village down there um, in Florida uh, that did not suffer a lot of destruction from Ian. And the news story started out saying in this village, this town, it was built uh, for, for the purpose of withstanding a hurricane. It was built according to certain guidelines or whatever, so that it, it would not suffer damage and that it fared very well. And so I was real eager to hear, well, I want to know what are the details? What do you do? How do you build a place so that it'll survive a hurricane? So they started in giving the description. And the first thing they said was, 30 miles inland from the coast. <laughs> Get away from the sand. That's pretty smart. That's right. That It makes a difference where you build, on what you are building. And if you build on the word of God, if you build on Christ, then you're that's that's what you want to do. Paul, over in, in first, well, let, let's save that for a moment. We'll get over to First uh, Corinthians 3 in a moment. Paul talks about building on Christ. Yeah. Um, but in this passage right here, um, so what would be, you know, we said this is tied into the previous section um, and, and the whole Sermon on the Mount. Um, so looking back in the text, building our house on the rock uh, would be what? Well, it would be for one thing, um, actually doing the will of the Father, going back to verse 21, not just saying, Lord, Lord. Uh, it, it would be uh, entering by the narrow gate, uh, not by the wide gate. Um, there are a lot of things that it would be, but you look at you look at the religious world today. Well, you look at the world in general, and people are trying to come up with. I don't care who they are. Everybody thinks they have uh, an idea of how things ought to be, of what's wrong with the country, what ought to be done to fix it, what what's wrong with my neighbors. What ought to be done to fix them, whatever it is. And if we don't start with the word of God, we're going to come up with nutty things. So Drew sent us a link that we were looking at just before the webcast today of some clergyman standing next to some cross-dressing transvestite and two little bitty girls sitting between them. And he was quoting Romans chapter 12. So he is speaking words. They're in some church building and he's speaking words of God. He's talking about being not fashioned according to this world and being transformed by the renewing of our mind. But obviously his application of that, his point was don't live like the world expects you to live. If you want to be transgender, go for it, be renewed. Well, that's being transformed, but it's not being transformed according to the Word of God. You're not building, you're, you're quoting the Word of God, but you're not actually applying the Word of God. You're not building your house on the rock. The, the verse right before that, that that man was quoting, he was, he was quoting Romans 12 too, right? The verse right before that, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, not acceptable to new the new morality, if can I even say that? 
um, uh, to the new standard of morality. Um, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't mean becoming uh, wilder in our uh, uh, sexual deviancy, um, but uh, yeah, it, it quite quite concerning. Thankfully, that is a minority. They get a lot of press. They get a lot of attention. But uh, at this point, at least in our society, I'm thankful that that, that attention is because it is such a uh, an extreme position to take. But we need to not de delude ourselves into thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me then. The, the text is really clear. The wise man uh, is the one who hears the sayings and does them. And that's, that's the contrast, I think, to what we were just talking about. They were, there were people saying, I'm doing these things in your name, but they weren't really listening to Jesus and doing them. Um, uh, Jesus didn't know them. Jesus didn't approve of them. Um, uh, again, as you talked about, in contrast to this idea of even, you know, saying the sinner's prayer or just believing, um, Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. And, and let me emphasize, if I might, sorry to, to take over here, but um, this isn't just about what we think of as the categories of doctrine. Um, uh, you know, this is about daily living. I'm thinking about John 17, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and he says, blessed are you if you do this. Um, you know, um, we need to make sure that our daily living, not just that our Sunday worship is, is in the correct format. That's very important. I'm not uh, putting that down at all. Right, right. But it, but it means nothing if we're not applying the principles. Look at Matthew 5, 7, uh, 5 6, and 7. How much of that is talking about Sunday worship versus how much of it is talking about daily living? I'm not sure I can think of a thing that's about Sunday worship in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Exactly. And, and so Jesus is calling us to, and we've talked about this before, Jesus call, is calling us to be citizens of the kingdom on a, on a daily, hourly basis. Mm -hmm. uh, James chapter uh, 1 in verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deluding your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. For behold, he, he beholds himself, goes away, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. Um, so the, 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 the word of God is not just about saying a simple formula and saying I'm saved. And it's not just about how we worship on Sundays. It's actually about living this life that Jesus has described as kingdom living in Matthew chapter five through seven. Right. And so uh, I'm thinking about how great is that fall for those who don't do this. You know, that the, the, we're talking about uh, some dire consequences, um, uh, the, the judgment of these individuals if they don't follow what the, the Lord has taught. And so how does, how do people respond to that teaching? To, to the teaching about how great the fall is? Yeah, or, or to, to the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount even. Well, okay, I guess there's a lot of different responses. Um, boy, some people, some people respond and they really start trying to live according to this. Some people uh, respond and they respond just by talking about how everybody else should live <laughs> according to this. <laughs> Yeah. And so, and so, some people kind of ignore it altogether. 
and, and I think that's what we're seeing even in verses 28 and 29, isn't it? You know, people were astonished. He taught his authority. But then I'm imagining them walking away from uh, this mountain uh, summit and, uh, you know, different people going back to the house and kind of forgetting about it. Uh, of some people having truly changed, transformed lives and, uh, and others, you know, just pointing the finger, you know, not, not really listening to what Jesus said other than to find faults in others, perhaps, um, and not applying it to themselves. Uh, every sort of reaction, we see that kind of consistently through the preaching of Jesus and the apostles, even through the book of Acts. Let's talk a little bit about the rock. Yeah. Um, so building that foundation on the rock. Um, uh, rock is a pretty common theme in, uh, in the scriptures. Uh, we can go pretty far back in, in our Bible to, to see the idea of the rock. Um, uh, maybe thinking about one of the first places would be in Exodus 17, um, uh, when Moses struck the rock at Oreb and uh, water came out. Um, uh, and Paul will talk about that event later on. And he'll talk about that the rock that followed them was Christ. Um, uh, and so to, to get water from a rock, um, a pretty amazing thing uh, for, for, walk, uh, for water to come out of that rock, uh, incredible. Uh, I've broken rocks before, uh, and you know I never find water inside of them. Uh, this was something miraculous uh, by the Lord. Jesus is providing that water. He is the source of, of life for man. One of the things that as we come a little bit further on in the Bible that we see is in the life of David when he is fleeing from Saul and he's out in the wilderness and he is out in the rocks hiding out. And there's one passage where Saul comes after him and David is on one side of the rock and Saul and his men are on the other side of the rock. And that rock standing between them is the thing that's protecting David uh, until Saul is called away because of some trouble elsewhere. And and so in David's David's life at this time, rocks are prominent as right. places of refuge, as a fortress. And so then David writes a psalm such as Psalm 18 in verses 1 and 2. I love thee, O Lord my God. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge." So he sees God as his protector and his deliverer, the one in whom he can find safety and security. And so that's that's part of it, uh, yeah. this concept. And in fact, he mentions that about two or three more times there in that same psalm. Later on, he'll say, who is God except the Lord and who is a rock except our God? Or uh, later, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. Um, uh, very, very strong uh, terminology. Uh, we're just looking recently uh, in connection with that same idea, Psalm 61 and 62. Psalm 61, um, uh, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Um, uh, and I don't know, uh, need to rely on somebody that knows the Psalms better than, than myself. But he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I in Psalm 61, the end of verse 2. And then he turns right around in Psalm 62 and three times talks about the rock uh, in verse 2, referring to God. 
he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense or, or strong tower, I guess. Uh, verse six, he only is my rock and my salvation. He's my defense. Verse seven, in God is my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength. My refuge is in God. Um, so he, in, in, in Psalm 61, he says, lead me to the rock. And then it's kind of like in Psalm 62, he's found uh, that rock. He, he understands God is the one that's provided. And he emphasizes that over and over. And I love that scenario that you painted there of that rock being what is separating him, what is protecting him in that way. And, and David is, is not just, I mean, David is writing. He's just, David is called a prophet by Peter in Acts chapter two. So David's writing by inspiration. So I don't mean to say um, this wasn't God's idea, but it is David who's describing God as a rock. However, we come to Isaiah 44 and God describes himself as a rock. In Isaiah 44, God is saying, I am the only God and all these idols, they're nothing. And, it, it, you know, I, I can tell you what's coming. I've told you what's past. Uh, let these idols say anything, if they can say anything at all, and they can't. And then in verse 8, he says, do not tremble, and do not be afraid, for I, have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? They can't, but I have, and you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me, or is there any other rock? I know of none. So God here describes himself as as the rock. So that would be neat if we could tie that in with something that Jesus might have said uh, <laughs> later on. Um, uh, think about Matthew chapter 16, perhaps, uh, would, would this maybe fit? Uh, Peter identifies Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God in Matthew 16, 16. And uh, Jesus then answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my father's in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And so what, what is that rock? Is that rock Peter? Um, uh, or is that rock something else? What, what would you think, Jeff? Well, I, I'm, let's come back to that, because I kind okay. of think in that particular passage, he's talking about Peter, but not Peter in his own right and Peter in his own authority. Right. But let's come back and talk about that in a minute. But let's first of all go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if we could. Sure. Uh, and, and then we'll come back to Matthew. And we may have a slightly different understanding of that passage. We'll see. But let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And um, Paul is here talking about the wisdom of men and how Paul didn't come preaching the wisdom of men. Um, he says in chapter 2, uh, brethren, I came unto you, came, I came not with excellent spirit excellency of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified and then we come down to chapter three and he's talking about his work and Apollos's work and how the Corinthians should not be identifying themselves in terms of Apollos or Paul that Apollos and Paul are just servants doing God's word but God is the one who builds us up and who gives the increase and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another man built thereon. Obviously, if we know the story, Paul first went to Corinth and preached the gospel there. He left and Apollos came and followed up on Paul's work and preached there. Paul goes on, but let each man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
So when Paul laid the foundation, it was Jesus Christ. When Apollos came and he built on top of that, he built on Jesus Christ. So we talk about that foundation in Matthew chapter 7, what we build our house on, it's got to be Jesus Christ. And it can't just be saying, in the name of Jesus, I do this or that. It's got to be what the Lord has said. And, and that's how we build our foundation on Jesus. Any thoughts there before we go back to Matthew 16? Uh, no, I think that that also works with uh, what we're talking about here in Matthew 7, because either we build upon that rock or we reject that rock. And again, uh, Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And so you get that picture of a, of a rock, that, that stone, that chief cornerstone in the building that is taking place. Everything needs to be built upon Christ. Uh, Paul quotes that in Romans 9, Peter quotes it in 1 Peter 2, um, uh, and so we see Christ as that, as that stone, that rock, that, um, uh, the, that, that foundation upon which we're going to be built. Yeah, so we get back to Matthew chapter 16, and this is an interesting context. It, it's on the face of it, you might suppose that he's saying he's building his church upon Peter, and that's kind of the question we're going to be talking about here in a minute. Um, the Roman Catholics have long liked to point to this passage as an indication that Peter is the first pope. Jesus builds his church upon Peter, they say. And um, so he, he is the first pope. And so among many Protestants who see the problems with the Catholic Church's claims, uh, they find it uh, attractive to certainly say, well, that's not real, what, Peter's, what Jesus is saying here. And, and, the, and the, the little little thing that we need to know is here, the name Peter means rock. And Jesus gave him that name. His name was Simon. Uh, but John tells us about how Jesus gave him this name, Rock. Uh, you, might, you, you may have remembered a certain character in a series of movies named Rocky. And I'm here in, near Philadelphia. And so it's not hard to, for that to come to mind. So you can think of this one apostle named Simeon, and Jesus calls him Rocky or Rock. Um, and then we have this conversation where uh, Jesus says in Matthew 16 and verse 13, who do men say that the Son of Man is? Um, and so that's kind of an interesting question because Son of Man is a phrase used back in Daniel 7 for the one who's going to receive the kingdom. And so that'd be the Messiah. And, and you could suppose that then what Jesus is asking is, who do men say the Messiah is? Who do men say the Christ is? And some, they, they answered, the disciples said, well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he says to them, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, you are rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, there's a couple ways you can take that. You can say, Simon, you're a rock. And on this rock over here, I'm going to build my church, this rock that I am the Christ. Uh, another way to take it is, Simon, you're a rock. And on you, I'm going to build my church. And, and I, Joe, let me, let me just throw out a couple of thoughts here, and then you can tell me what's wrong with them, okay? Fair enough? I, I, I love doing that, yeah. 
right. Um, Peter is not the first pope, but Peter is the man whom the Lord relied on uh, for the establishment of the church. As a matter of fact, in Luke 22, um, just the night before he's crucified, just shortly before he's betrayed, in the context of when Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock throws. Uh, Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan asked to have you, you plural, all you apostles, disciples, that he might sift you, all of you, as wheat. But I made supplication for thee, for you singular, Peter, that your faith, Peter's faith, fail not. And you, when once when you've turned again, so Jesus is already anticipating, you're going to mess up, but you're going to turn again, establish your brethren. So right there, Jesus is counting on Peter to be the one who's, who's going to establish the others uh, after the resurrection. And then after the resurrection, we come to Acts chapter 2, and Peter is the chief spokesman on the day of Pentecost when uh, the gospel, as far as we know, is first publicly preached. Um, Peter's the one who stood up even before that and said, we need to choose a replacement for Judas. Peter is the most prominent character in the first half of the book of Acts. Paul refers to Peter as the apostle to the circumcision, just as Paul was the apostle to the uncircumcision. Um, and so I think there's a case to be made for the idea that uh, Jesus is going to build his church, and Peter is a rock that he's going to use to build it. Now, you might say, well, that's at odds with 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, Peter could only be that if, in fact, Peter were preaching Jesus as the foundation, which clearly he does in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and so on. But, Joe, not everybody would agree with that. They would not. They, they, uh, several people would, would have difficulty with that. Uh, let me also add another layer in that. You mentioned the Luke 22, Acts 2, uh, um, a few passages there. Um, but not only was Peter the first one to uh, preach to the Jews, he was the first one to preach to the Gentiles as well. And uh, uh, that's not just happenstance, according to Acts 15, um, Acts 15 and in verse uh, 7, when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Uh, and so God chose Peter specifically in, in each occasion to be the one who introduced the gospel to Jews, to Gentiles, um, uh, we, we can't just dismiss that idea. Um, uh, and so I, I don't have any problem with the conclusions that you are drawing or alluding to uh, in Matthew 16. It almost seems to me as if, and we find this a lot through the Old Testament, that maybe we're sort of seeing even a, a double purpose in the, the language here. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I think the natural reading of it leads toward, he's saying Peter. Um, uh, you know, as you pointed out earlier, he might be saying, Peter, you're a rock, and upon this rock, you know, this other thing that you said, but you, you'd, you almost have to see Jesus's hand motions to get that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I think that the natural reading is it's pointing at Peter, but it's not Peter in and of himself. It's Peter's, what Peter is going to teach um, and what he's going to present. And, and I think that, that, and 
that is pretty consistent with other passages even, um, at least in my mind, uh, Ephesians 2, um, uh, verse 20, beginning verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, fellow citizens, saints, and members of the household of God. So you have this household, this building, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ and being the chief cornerstone, whom the whole, whole building joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so you have this building being described kind of like 1 Corinthians 3, um, uh, but the foundation is the apostles. It's being built on the foundation of the apostles. Um, so I, I don't think that there's any problem with that. That's the way that it kind of naturally reads in the English, I think. And it, you you can certainly correct me on this part now, and you'll take pleasure in that. That that seems like it's pointed out even in the Greek, isn't it, with Petro and Petra? Um, is there any significant difference in those words in uh, Matthew 16? Not really. It's, you know, some people do make the case that there's a significant difference, but there's really not. So, so the word Petros would be the name of Peter, and it's a masculine word. And the word Petra would be the feminine form. And the fact is, when you're not talking about somebody's name, you normally would use the feminine form. The word Petros is a masculine word. It's really not used very much, but you have to make it masculine if you're going to make it a man's name. Uh, but people have, some have said there's a big difference in those two. And Peter, his name just means a little bitty rock. And Petra, the name of the rock, uh, means a great big rock. And so they say Jesus is making a contrast. But when you look at the occurrences of the words, usage does not bear that distinction out. Uh, you either have to look at Matthew 16 and suppose that the context is saying there's a contrast. You're a rock and I'm going to build my church on this other rock, or you say there's a connection, you're the rock, and that's what I'm going to build my church on. Um, Verse 19, help, help me with this one. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Is the you there, is that plural or singular in verse 19? Do you know? Yeah, good question. Let me open my Bible real quick. I don't remember, but while we're while I'm looking that up, I'll tell you what, I'll turn to Matthew 16 in my Greek text here and take a look at that real quickly. Uh, well, okay, I've got it. It's singular. Uh, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. But what's interesting about that, Joe, is in Matthew chapter 18, so what, what does he say about that? What he says is, you're going to bind on earth what's been bound in heaven, and you're going to loose on earth what's been loosed in heaven. But then we turn to Matthew chapter 18, and you know what? I was in Matthew 18. In my Greek text, I was in Matthew 16. So I looked at it right in my Greek text. But in Matthew 16, 19, after he says, I give you the keys, he says, whatever you'll bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's the significance of having the keys. Uh, and you turn to Matthew chapter 18, and now he's talking not just to Peter, and he says the same thing. Well, you read in Ephesians chapter 2, where the apostles, plural, and prophets are the foundation of the church. Here we're seeing the apostles, plural, have this binding and loosing authority. Are you talking and, about 1818? Yeah, did I say, I don't know what no, I said. No, you, I, I just, I don't know if you gave the verse in chapter yeah, 18. Yeah, 1818. Uh -huh. and, and, and so, and of course, it's not saying that they're going to make it up as they go. They're going to just make up whatever rules they want. They're going to bind what's been bound in heaven, and they're going to loose what's been loosed in heaven. Um, so can, can you imagine then, Peter, you know, in this in this text in Matthew 16, everything is foundational upon Christ. There's no question at all about that. Peter has no power other than what right. has been uh, given to him. But 
couldn't you not see him in that sentence kind of having the keys as he opens that up to the Jews? He opens that up to the Gentiles then? Right, right. But he, he was going to be humbled first. Yes. He, he's going to deny the Lord. Not that the Lord wanted him to deny him, but he is going to be humbled. He's going to deny. Because, you know, Peter, up until this point, he's sometimes his talk has gotten ahead of his actions. And uh, he is going to be humbled here, and he's going to deny the Lord, and then he, and then he's going to see the Lord catch his eye, and uh, and and then he he's going to go forward up. I think a changed man from there on. Amen. Well, Joe, uh, we we uh, have used up our time. We have any, any final words before we? Well, let me let me give a plug for we've got a weekend series starting Friday night. Uh, Edwin Crozier is going to be preaching here in Exton, Pennsylvania on prayer. And um, if you would like to join us Friday night at 7.30 or Saturday for a singing at 4 or a another preaching session at 5 or our regular hours on Sunday, uh, we'd certainly be glad to have you. ExtonChurch.org. ExtonChurch.org. E-X-T-O-N Church.org if you want more information about that.